The month of June is one that is full of rituals, most of them happy ones. There are wedding rituals, there are graduation rituals, pride rituals, this year even an NBA championship ritual. But traveling into work on the subway this past week, I witnessed what is undoubtedly the most anxiety-provoking ritual of this beautiful month, the final exam ritual. Two boys sitting just adjacent to me, probably about 17 years old, peppering each other with questions all the way into the ride downtown. What's the name for the arrangement of electrons around the nucleus of the atom? What's an exothermic reaction? And as it became clear that one of the lads was hopelessly unprepared to meet his fate, the panic in his voice kept rising and it had the exact same effect on me. Perhaps it was because I was mentally preparing already for this sermon, but I returned, oddly enough, not to my chemistry final exam, but to my confirmation some 45 years ago. And my teacher, Mr. Kelly, who insisted that our preparation for that event should be no less rig rigorous than for any final exam, and so we memorized and we repeated formulas back to him on demand. Now, besides the Lord's Prayer, the Creed, the Ten Commandments, they were child's play by comparison. There were the questions from the catechism itself, and many of those answers remain to haunt my dreams and occasionally my nightmares to this day. Why did God make you? God made me to know him, to love him, to serve him in this life and be happy with him in the next, correct? Are the three persons of the Trinity equal to one another? The three persons of the Holy Trinity are perfectly equal to one another because all are one and the same God. What is God? God is that being, a greater than which cannot be imagined correct. Now, whatever you might think about that kind of pedagogy, we left religion class knowing that our faith had actual content to it. It wasn't just about opinions and feelings, as important as those are. It provided a, a solid foundation for an adult faith, one in which we could confidently debate with each other the things that we believed and why we believed them. The downside to this method, however, was that we learned to treat God as a problem to be solved, kind of like a chemistry experiment. Memorizing the answers to the questions was useful for training our minds and honing our debating skills, but in the end, trying to solve the problem of God could put God on the very same level as learning the periodic table. Now, all over the Christian world today, preachers are trying to solve the problem of God, the Holy Trinity for their congregations. And they will be using all sorts of metaphors like triangles and shamrocks and the three states of water, liquid, gas, and ice, to try to help us grasp the mystery of the three-in-one and the one-in-three. And all sorts of heresy will be spoken in an valiant attempt to name, categorize, and quantify God as we Christians understand him. And now it's my turn. The reason for all of those similes and metaphors? Well, it's because our scriptures do not and cannot fully explain what the nature of God is. They can't. Because if they could, 
then the God who by definition is beyond our comprehension just would not be God. The only thing that all of these wonderful metaphors can do is bring us to the threshold of understanding who the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are and how, though three, they remain forever one. Even in today's gospel, Jesus doesn't try to solve this puzzle for us. Instead, he prefaced his remarks this morning by saying, there is so much more I'd like to tell you, but you're not ready yet. And on this side of the veil, we never will be. Instead, what Jesus does is he sets us on an exciting adventure to the Father in the company of the Holy Spirit using his grace-filled words as our guides, and we have been walking on that path ever since. Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't try to understand the nature of the God whom we worship. Of course we should. As St. Thomas More is reported to have said, God made the angels to show him splendor as he made animals for innocence and plants for their simplicity, but humans, humans he made to serve him with our wits in the tangle of our minds. And generation after generation of people just like you and me have done that very thing for some 2,000 years now. They have worked tirelessly to untangle the mystery of God in a way that speaks to their own day and their own age. That's what God created us to do. But in the end, the wisest among us will simply delight in the mystery of God rather than making the mistake of saying, right, now, I've got it, I completely understand him. The fool may say in his heart that there is no God, but it's the idiot who claims to think, think that he finally pinned him down. So if we can never fully comprehend the nature of the triune God, what can we say? What dare we say about the Holy Trinity? Well, while the scriptures may not provide us with any formal doctrine, they do provide us with the basis for this most fundamental of our beliefs, showing us how we can detect the ways in which the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are ever active in this world and in our lives. Three different missions of the one God among us. When I look to the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, we just sang in the psalm. We are reminded with the psalmist that it is the Father who creates and sustains everything, including us. None of us, none of us can stand before the Rocky Mountains or beneath the northern lights or even feel the constant beating of our hearts and say, I'm the one who is responsible for this. It's the Father who is the creator, not we ourselves. The Son presents the human face of God to this world. His words, which we treasure, challenge us to be both godlike and fully human at the same time. They spur us on to do those things that are sometimes contrary to what we might want to do, but reflect the divine dwelling within us. Forgiving our enemies, praying for our persecutors, standing in solidarity with outcasts. It's the Son who brings us the salvation that we all long for. The Holy Spirit 
dwells within each of us, raising our minds to God and helping us live through the dynamic tension that is simply day-to-day living. It is the Spirit who moves us to perform selfless acts of kindness, who causes us to acknowledge our sins and weaknesses, who keeps us in unity and in love with one another, and who causes us to feel that peace which passeth all understanding. And it is through the Holy Spirit that God, the three-in-one and the one-in-three, is constantly being revealed to us. On the heights of the hills, at the crossroads of the city, in the marketplace, and by the gates, wisdom is constantly calling out to us and saying, look around you and see God at work everywhere. Now, in a place like Toronto, it is easy to overlook of the, fa- the work of the Father when the lights of the heavens are permanently clouded by the lights of the city. Or be able to hear the words of the sun as they compete with the more popular images that say might is right and greed is good. Or recognize the gentle tug of the spirit when so many others are constantly demanding our full attention. But as the writer of the book of Proverbs reminds us so beautifully this morning, God is still there, even in the shadows of the night, even among the crowds that are pressing in all around us, Even in all of the distractions that fill our days, God is always there and is always inviting us to notice him. In a few moments, we will rise and we will say the Nicene Creed, a 1,700-year-old statement of our faith in the Holy Trinity. But today, as you repeat these words, perhaps you could ask yourself a few questions. What do you mean when you claim that the Father is almighty, in spite of the fact that he seems helpless to stop the wars and natural disasters that punctuate his creation? What do you mean when you proclaim that Jesus is his only son when we all claim to be God's children? And why is the Holy Spirit the Lord and giver of life when we seem to have just said that it is the Father who creates? If you can't come up with good answers to these questions, don't worry. You're in excellent company. The great St. Augustine of Hippo, who lived about 100 years after that creed was composed, he spent 30 long years writing his own massive book on the Trinity. One day, or so the story goes, he decided to go for a walk on the beach just to clear his head of all the details. And as he wandered along, he met a little boy with a seashell who was running back and forth from the Mediterranean, carrying water to pour into a hole that he had dug in the sand. And after Augustine watched him for a few minutes, he went up and asked the lad what he was doing. Well, obviously, I'm trying to pour the sea into this hole, the child said. Little boy. Augustine smugly answered, don't you know that you can't get the whole Mediterranean into that little space? To which the little boy replied, and sir, don't you know you can't get the mystery of God into that little head? The creed that we are about to say is not meant to communicate the idea that we have definitively solved the problem of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all time that somehow with the right formula and the precise words we have captured him, or her for that matter, like a butterfly pinned to a specimen board. That's impossible. If, however, 
the words that we are about to say cause us to ask more questions about God and not fewer, while inspiring within us a sense of awe and wonder that it is still very much repeating every single Sunday of the year. In the end, our profession of faith should cause us to reflect and then delight in God's presence like wisdom did, not caring whether we fully understand all of the words that we say about the intricacies of the nature of God, but instead rejoicing that God still delights in us who say the words, our flawed human race, and he is still teasing us to know him better, like a lover extending his hand and inviting us to follow him in the eternal dance of creation. Amen.